Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. This is Anthony with a Pop Health Show. And to, to recap, this show is for anyone in the world that's trying to make more than one person healthy uh, in this world. Uh, on this episode uh, and on this show today, we've got Esther Dyson. Um, Esther Dyson has a vast background in health, in um, angel investing, in, um, in a variety of different spaces, has a very interesting background. But before I go too much on the introduction, um, I'll let Esther you know, take it away. Esther, thanks for being on the show. And maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about you and your origin story. Okay. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's also a pleasure to hear someone talk about health rather than health care. So basically, I began as a, a techie, and I was investing in cute little startups and got more and more interested in healthcare because it just seemed to be more useful than, you know, just all these incredible things to make the lives of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs easier. And the more I looked at healthcare, I started to ask questions because my real origin is I was both a reporter for Forbes and a fact checker, and my job was to ask questions, and I studied economics in college. So I began to notice we're spending all this money fixing people, and wouldn't it be cheaper to keep them healthy? So I started looking at that, and long story, but I was about to give a talk somewhere at a quantified self-conference and say that somebody should start an initiative to, to show how to produce health and maybe model it after an X prize or something. And I, at that point I'd already sold my business and I was a full-time angel investor. And I realized, Oh, somebody else should do something is not a very good speech as opposed to ladies and gentlemen, I'm announcing. So I announced what I called at the time hiccup or Health Initiative Coordinating Council. It was, it was supposed to be a kind of boring name because that was the point. It wasn't about exotic new technology, but just implementing what we already know. That was in May of 2013. I hired a CEO because I've seen too many startups fail because the person who started them wouldn't give up control and couldn't get anything done. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things my CEO said to me was, hmm, hiccup, that's not a... Really, nobody knows what that means, Esther. And I said, okay, come up with something better. So he did, and that's the way to Wellville, which is a five-community, 10-year project to basically to keep or make people healthy rather than to try and cure them when it's too late. We operate in five small communities around the U.S., and I'm happy to tell you more, but that's that's basically what I'm doing now, and separately I'm continuing to invest in interesting startups, though I try to avoid population health startups because I don't want to deal with the conflict of interest, mm -hmm. which is frustrating because, of course, it's population health startups that I love. You know, they, they excite me, but I want to see if I can get them to operate within Wellville, and that would be even more exciting than investing in them, so... Absolutely. I invest in everything else except what I really, really love. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great, Esther. Well, um, well, you know, in your way, way to Wellville uh, project, obviously, you know, you're, um, you know, feels like a couple years in, and with the, these uh, these five cities, um, I guess with, the, with with or communities, yes. Um, 
what do you what are you seeing um, some trends some some trends in in your current mm-hmm. project or just in general in health that have yeah. you excited these well, days? Unfortunately, most of what I'm seeing does not have me excited. I see opioid addiction, bad nutrition, uh, troubled parents who are reinflicting the the bad treatment they got from their parents on their kids. I see schools that feed their students badly. Uh, and that, of course, is everything we're trying to fight. But it's it's hard because most population health is disorganized. It's kind of well-meaning people without a budget and without accountability and not much happens. And so mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to change. We're, we're not trying to bring technology to these communities as much as we're trying to bring the culture of implementation and getting things done. I like to say we don't need no stinking pilots. We need implementations and rollouts because it's, it's not really a mystery what needs to be done. It's a mystery how to get it done and how to, to give people the capacity and, and help them come up with the business plans and the accountability that will get someone to fund them to do these things. But mm-hmm. that's, and that's why we're doing it in smaller communities because we, we lack the resources and the capacity to do it in large ones. And we want to show also that if you have the mother in an anti-diabetes program and the father in counseling and the kid getting better nutrition and, and early childhood education, you, you get this multiplication rather than addition effect. And mm-hmm. yeah, but that's still to come. We don't, we don't have numbers yet. What we do mm-hmm. have is increasingly motivated communities where different entities are beginning to work together. But it's, it's, it's just like a startup. You take a couple of years. Well, it's like, it's like a hardware or a real life startup as opposed to an app. Mm -hmm. It's something where you, you really need to build the capacity and get the community working together and and so forth. Mm -hmm. No, this is great. Um, so five communities, five metrics, 10-year project. Um, for our listeners, can you uh, describe a little bit on how you arrived at the five metrics? And are you seeing any okay. interesting correlations so, with those honestly, metrics? The five metrics, that was in May of 2013. I'm, I'm not sure what you looked at. If we're, oh, okay. We're okay. updating the website right now. The, the metrics, we went back and forth with the community. So the, the first idea is fundamentally... It's not, here's a nice white lady with a lot of ideas to help you run your community better. Mm-hmm. It was more, we've got this group of people that wants to help you, please apply. We got 42 applications. This is back in the summer of 2014 and picked five communities. One of them has been swapped out since for, um, it just wasn't really working in the first First thing you need to do to be accountable is to say, this isn't working, we'll change. So we have, just in case any of your listeners is from any of these places, Spartanburg, South Carolina, mm-hmm. North Hartford, Connecticut, Muskegon, Michigan, Lake County, California, and Clatsop County, Oregon. Uh, so if, if you had a personal trainer, that personal trainer would give you advice, but it would still be up to you to go to the gym, to buy the equipment, to do the work. 
the trainer will give you advice. They'll say, hey, you know, I heard about this new rowing machine. But, and so in the same way, we, we give the communities advice. We have their backs. We introduce them to people. But in the end, they have to own it because then after we're gone, they'll still own it and they'll still have that mm -hmm. capacity. So we're, we, the Wellville national team is not, quote, doing anything. We're, we're helping the communities do it. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, you know, obviously we, we have influence, we meet with them, we go out there all the time to, to the various places. Each one of us is responsible for one of the communities. I've got Muskegon mm -hmm. and I think ultimately kind of the most interesting or, or prevalent business model is going to be something like a, a program or an app. So nurse family partnership is nurse visits to pregnant women and then support with them and the toddlers. And it has huge 17 times return over 25 years or something. Uh, that however is very expensive and it requires nurses and there's some cheaper versions of varying quality. But if, and so our goal is to do, nurse family partnership, maybe for the, the mothers most at risk, but also to do various other versions of it. And there's quite a few of them and to focus on training local people because having it delivered by local people, not by somebody from outside is it's more affordable. It uh, increases employment in the community. The community membership makes these people more credible. So there's, there's nurse family partnership. There's lots of diabetes prevention programs. And we see things kind of, you know, like Weight Watchers or Alcoholics, anonymous groups. We think the biggest leverage is going to be to have these curricula-based interventions delivered through local coaches and then in peer support groups. Now, if you go in and you have one diabetes prevention class every Tuesday night, most people can't get there. They need childcare or whatever. But if you have 10 or 15 around the community, you add childcare, your neighbor's going, I think that's what is going to lead to, to much more local individual engagement. It's, it's really doing it more at a community level. It's not an individual going to see the doctor. It's, it's the community doing lots of such programs with many different choices, locations, uh, variations. And that's, that's kind of going to be the big, in a sense, the single biggest thing, but there's a lot of other things going on too, as well, mm -hmm. including a lot of work with the schools, which is really important because in the mm -hmm. end, the, the big impact is going to be on the next generation, not, not, not so much on the people you know, you can, you can help the parents and, and elderly people who are living alone, but the thing that's really going to have a long-term impact is, is what you do with the kids. And it's also the kids that actually inspire the community members because many of them have given up hope for themselves. But if you can help them get a better start for their kids so that their kids are lucky the way they see other kids on TV and on Facebook be, that's what mm -hmm. they really want. Mm -hmm. No, this is great, Esther. Um, 
a kind of a bridging question. So you, um, you have the way to Wellville project that, um, 10 years, uh, what do you see happening after that or in, yeah. in your mind, what would you like to, to see, right. you know, happen? you have ur- a lot of urban planning needs yeah. globally and new cities that need to pop up from China and India okay. and things like that. So love to so, hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I forgot to talk about the metrics. Um, we, we had these, you know, we came in, we were very well-meaning and we still are, but we also have learned a ton. And one thing, we thought, well, we'll get together with the communities and decide on the metrics and then we'll be all set. And we really just couldn't, it's not that we disagreed, but we couldn't really come to any particular conclusions. And then there's this fairly well-known 100 Million Healthier Lives Project, which is run by the Institute for Health Improvement, and it has a lot of you know, visible academic support, and so forth. And we just decided, well, whatever metrics they use, we'll use, so that we're no longer teaching to the test. But really, there's two kinds of metrics. One is, if you have a diabetes prevention program, okay, measure what's happening to the people in the program. Are they actually losing weight? Uh, you know, are they going to stop being diabetic or not progress? And obviously, it's really important to measure that sort of fundamental impact-based health interventions. The other one is long-term, 10 years from now. What will really excite me is to go into one of these communities and knock on the door of the real estate office, and the receptionist will say, I'm sorry, we're totally busy. Everybody wants to move to town. This is such a great place to work, raise your kids. Mm -hmm. We don't have any time. And the high school graduation rate will be close to 100%. The mayor will be reelected. <laughs> you know, all, the community will be visibly a place people want to live. And mm-hmm. you really can tell just by driving around. So it's, it's that fundamental change from a sort of depressed place where people just aren't that hopeful to mm-hmm. a place that people know is this is where I want to live and, the relatives come home and so forth. So it's, it's, it's beyond just measuring a one C though that matters, but it's, it's, it's well beyond that. Very, very interesting. Um, Esther, what, what is, um, what's the single most fun part of this process as you're, as you're growing, you're iterating and and learning more things. What's, what's the single most, um, fun thing of what you're doing? Um, you know, I could say something like making a difference. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's learning. It's discovering. There's always stuff you didn't know. I'm now reading amazing books, a hillbilly elegy, which is po- quite popular these days by JD Vance, a book called evicted by Desmond Matthew. Um, another book by Bessel van der Kolk, called The Brain Keeps the Score on trauma treatment. Uh, you know, all the stuff you kind of knew in theory, seeing it in practice, I'm just learning a ton. And I love that. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't sound like the sort of Mother Teresa 
thing you might be hoping for, but it's, it's real. And, yeah. And it honestly, that's what I find exciting. You know, I mean, I'm and, and, also excited when things start working and so forth, but it's just whatever mm-hmm. that, that is fun. I mean, it's, it's deep fun, obviously it's not, Oh, deep, <laughs> we get to go sailing. Right. But they are beautiful places, all of them. Esther, from you know, from Clatsop County to 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 Spartanburg, um, do you have a specific story of maybe a family or individual that you you can you know speak about where you where you're starting to see some change, or you you've learned um, something specifically very interesting? I know you touched upon a yeah. few things already with some of the programs. I mean, so I don't I don't really want to. It's it's not really at that level. I mean all these communities that weren't just sitting around waiting for us to show up. They were mm-hmm. the teen pregnancy rate in Spartanburg is down by half. Uh, they've stopped prescribing opioids at Adventist health in Lake County. You know, there are lots of these things going on. We're, we're trying to accelerate it and help them scale it. You know, so there are, there are already programs in Muskegon with farm to table and, you know, there's, sort of the usual in any community you can find the usual set of inspiring stories about a single kid but the the essence of what we're trying to do is to go from anecdotes to scale so you know the the specific stories to me are not going to be as interesting as as you know when we have 2000 people in a diabetes prevention program mm-hmm. and coaches and local support groups and stuff like that. I mean, the the whole point is individual stories of redemption are not enough. Mm -hmm. You you touched upon something key, which is, you know, really scaling, scaling the good stuff that you're getting, you know, through this project. Um, Are you starting to see a couple of opportunities of scale? I mean, in my mind, it feels like every community has its own, you know, provider networks and, um, you know, I don't know with all the differences in providers, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but may, are you identifying some interesting yeah. opportunities with scale? Right. So in Clatsop County, we're working on a pay for success bond that will basically give every child in the county early childhood education in, in, uh, Lake County. Again, uh, Sutter has stopped prescribing opioids, but now we need to launch a a high-capacity program. You know, what do you give people instead? And that's going to – so the communities love learning from one another. And what they do in Lake County – we're actually having a webinar on this topic, uh, Jan 30th. If anybody wants, uh, write to Antony and ask for my email, and you can get in touch with us. so Geisinger has done this quite successfully and we want to at least two of the communities. So we've got a, an ACES resilience program starting up in Muskegon that's going to scale. And we've got, we're trying to figure out exactly how to structure the sort of the financial and, and governance of it in Lake County. Mm-hmm. But so those are, those are some of the more, the broader ones that are happening right now. 
Um, Esther, you, you just um, mentioned something that we hear a lot on the show is, um, which, you know, something in, in population health hasn't really come up too much, you know, even two to three years ago, um, resilience programming. And, yes. um, you know, for someone that's not familiar with resilience programming or resilience training, um, uh, why do you think these programs are, you know, resilience in general is, is picking up more steam or maybe you can explain to our listeners a little bit yeah. about that? Well, it's needed. Uh, there, there are an awful lot of kids in this country whose parents had troubled childhoods for whatever reasons. And you can, you know, you can go back and back and say, where did this all start? But there are a lot of kids who do not have a happy two parent family with parents who are always at their best and the right nutrition and, and proper upbringing and so forth. And that sometimes traumatizes them severely. And so, you know, you're damaged and resilience training or, or ACEs response or whatever you want to call it is basically, and there's a variety of these. One of, one of the favorites, one of my favorites is called parenting journey. You, you don't simply, again, they vary, but the parenting journey approach, for example, you don't just go to the kids and hug them. You, you help the parents understand what happened to them and give them the resilience so that they don't pass the same problems on to their kids. Uh, you know, if a kid's in a, in a very hostile environment, yeah, you take them into foster care and you try to improve the foster care. In Clatsop County, there's a program where instead of moving from one foster care home to another, which is what too often happens, they hire some fairly mature people who guarantee that they will keep the job for five years. And so you get a kid who, instead of having a different caregiver every six months, so that they keep feeling abandoned again and again and again by these adults they're supposed to be trusting, they get a single adult, you know, barring death or dismemberment, they get a single adult who's got their back, who sees them every week for five years. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, all the research shows that having a, having even one adult that is, that you trust and that is in fact trustworthy makes a huge difference. And, you know, it, it, you read that in the Hillbilly Elegy story where J.D. Vance had a grandmother who, for all her faults, was basically the thing that helped him get out of being poor white trash and, you know, ended up at Yale, celebrated author, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's, it's not that there's a single way to do it, but there are a lot of different programs that have really impressive success rates and what we're mostly going to do is is train the trainers and then launch them at scale in, in our communities now this is this is great esther uh, really appreciate um you know going deep on some of some of these uh sub projects and studies that that you're doing it's uh just an incredible project you're doing that you know seems like no one's ever put something together like this and set up the, the right parameters for experiments. Yeah. I mean, um, everybody's run. done it, but they haven't done it at scale. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where we're hoping that we will really make a significant difference because it will, it will be at critical density and 
again, you'll be able to see it. Mm -hmm. um, Esther, as we're kind of rounding out the, the show here, um, just kind of a, a last question uh, for you, or, or, you know, maybe I actually got two last questions. So okay. I think you touched upon it at the beginning, but you know, um, why, why are you so drawn to the topic of health? Like what, what makes you so passionate about health on a, on a macro level and a micro level? Just, yeah. just curious. Well, both my parents are scientists and in some sense, I just hate stupidity. And I think it's stupid for people mm -hmm. to be suffering from poor health when they shouldn't be, you know, it's, it's one thing if, if you get cancer because you had a genetic abnormality, it's another, if you suffer from diabetes and depression because the environment in which you grew up caused them, that's, that's preventable. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like, this is nutty. Let's do something about it. And <laughs> if you think financially, it's cheaper to do something about it now than to wait until later and try and fix it. And you produce all kinds of human misery in the meantime. So you know, let's just not just do the right thing, but do the sensible thing. Mm -hmm. No, it's, that's, that's powerful. I pre appreciate that. Um, Esther, um, you know, kind of just, you know, rounding out the show here. Um, what is, uh, what's something that you believe that has not been, been proven yet, or maybe even said another way, Esther, you know, what, what's something that, that, you believe that other people feel to be uh, insane? Um, doing this, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the end, uh, if people thought it made sense, they would already be doing it. And, you know, to some extent they are. Geisinger is doing something similar in Scranton and we're working, you know, we're, we're collaborating with them in an informal way. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people have said, gee, that's really nice come back when you're done. And so, you know, it's, it, I mean, nobody says it shouldn't work because of X, but gee, that's really hard. And, and it is, it's, it's slow and it's difficult to build capacity. And we still don't have all our funding line. I mean, still, we totally don't have all our funding lined up, but you know, the more, the more we move forward, the more credible we'll become. And I think we'll, We'll be able to get that. So, mm -hmm. well, Esther, I mean, this I'm is great. For uh, ten years, yeah. so that's. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. No, no, I was just echoing. You know, it's it's uh, it, you know it's just great to see the dedication, um, you know, to this space, um, and, and you know, with the with the right levels of you know setting up the experiment the right way. Um, you know, it feels like you're. Um, you've got all the right, you know, pieces and yeah. measurables and, you know, you guys are responsive for, to, you know, things that can change and learning a lot and, um, right. setting it up to scale. And I, I loved your analogy at the beginning of kind of a hardware startup, which, you know, usually most people know it takes, you know, two or three iterations sometimes to get the, the real, the real good one out the door. Yeah. And um, it's not but, so much uh, iteration. So such, a, such a process. Yeah. Yeah. It's simply, you're operating in the real world with real people and it's, it's not an experiment because, we're not experimenting with people's lies. We're doing mm -hmm. something. We're doing things that we know works, but actually mm -hmm. doing it, I guess, in a way is sort of an experiment, but it's, it's, uh, I think of it as a demonstration. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing we're doing that is like exotic new technology that hasn't been tested. It's just do what everyone knows works, but they don't bother to do. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, to a lot of people, well, this isn't really very sexy. They'd rather do genetics or, you know, some novel diet where everything is measured to the milligram. Uh, we're not trying to turn people into automatons. We're just trying to give them the ability to, to live normal lives. Mm. I love it. I love the, the demonstration um, perspective, Esther. Um, Esther, this has been great to, uh, to have you share you know, your story Wade Wellville and, and the projects you're working on and, you know, details and, you know, for you to, you know, explain to our listeners here, the different dimensions on a societal, environmental, and on an individual level. So, um, Esther, we really appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully sometime in the future, uh, again, we can have you back and you can speak to, you know, f- um, further things you're seeing. Um, Esther, for our listeners, what, what would be a good way either online, um, or, you know, to get in contact with you or to interact with you online or okay. the Way to Wellville project. So you can write to me at edison, E-D-Y-S-O-N, at hiccup, H-I-C-C-U-P dot co. And our website is wellville.net. We, we're kind of gradually moving away from hiccup, but it's still our email domain. Great. Great. Well, Esther, this has been fabulous. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for um, what you're working on and what you've worked on in the past. And it just sounds sounds tremendous. So uh, to our listeners out there, thank you so much for, for listening. And I hope you enjoyed. Have a great one.